Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week and to guide you gently through another show. Really pleased to have our guest with us this week. It's Joe Evangelisti, who's the MD of communications at JP Morgan. I've been trying to get Joe on the show for a long time, so brilliant to have you with us, Joe. Thank you, Steve. I'm really happy to be here. Calling in from the Jersey Shore, I understand. So um, I hope uh, everything's good down there and uh, that you're uh, working hard from home and um, and uh, that uh, the last 18 months haven't been so bad. No, no, it's, it's okay. We're uh, lucky to be down here. Um, and I'm actually taking a little vacation. So you're, you're my last official duty until vacation starts. Well, we appreciate the uh, you taking time out to do that. Um, and uh, we've got uh, PR Week's executive editor, Frank Washkook, as my co-host as usual. Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Glad you uh, glad you could take some time out of your almost vacation to join us. Yeah, vacation is the new work, isn't it? I think so. Uh, <laughs> um, so we'll talk to Joe. Then we'll get into some topical subjects. We'll talk about um, Afghanistan and Haiti. Some horrible stuff going on in those parts of the world. Then we'll talk about. Um, corporate responses to that and how it's been handled from a communications point of view. The Business Roundtable, we're coming up on the second anniversary of their statement of a corporation changes, so uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Naomi Osaka press conference, and uh, as you can hear, I've got some Brooklyn soundtrack in the background of the police, so (laughs) please bear with us on that. That's another part of the uh, modern podcasting environment. Uh, Yeah, Naomi Osaka, another press conference which has brought up the topic of the interactions between the media and athletes. We'll talk about the latest on vaccine shots and hard-to-reach cohorts. Enero Group has uh, put its financials out, the Australian holding company, and notable people moves. But, uh, Joe, let's start with you. You've been at J.P. Morgan 35 years, heading up communications. I think you've got around 400 folks in 100 countries around the world. So it's a massive job for an iconic brand. Tell us, what, what's an average day as a head of communications for in a role like that? I would love to get a – I mean, I'm, I guess you're going to say there isn't an average day, but it would be great to get a sort of feel for, you know, the, some of the things that you're doing on a daily basis. You're right. There's not an average day, but but uh, the company is so big and we, we touch so many different things that um, one of the reasons I stayed in this job is because every day is different. I actually try to carve out about half of my day for unexpected things um, because we never know what will hit us. So, you know, yesterday we um, had a terrible um, assault um, from a man with a hatchet going into one of our ATM messages on on Broadway downtown, it was, um, and and the police put the video out, and it's on the front page of the New York Post today. And that was that was something that came out of the blue. At the same time, uh, former President Trump attacked our CEO on um, Fox News, um, and and you know another thing that was happening yesterday was uh, we have a large um, group of former military and we were trying to see what we could do to help those employees, especially 
um, in light of what was happening in Afghanistan um, and, and, and see how we could uh, support them, support other employee groups um, that were impacted. Um, so there was just a lot, there's a lot of different things going on every single day. And, and um, as I said, I try to leave room for that. Uh, a typical day is early, early in the morning or late at night before I read everything so that I'm not too surprised at what's coming uh, the next morning. And, um, and then what I do is I circle maybe up with my top eight people around the world and around our businesses um, to see what's going to be hot for the next five hours. And then we just um, dive in. And um, as I said, it's fun. It's been 35 years, but every day is different. Yeah, and how much is it dictated by what's most affecting the CEO or the C-suite? Does that automatically rise to the top, or is, is, does it depend on exactly what it is? Not really. It's more what's impacting the reputation of the company. Our, um, our CEO, Jamie Dimon, even though um, he has a big public image, he's very low maintenance. He is a, he's a very sophisticated consumer of sort of what all of us do for a living in terms of communications and PR. He, he gets it. He gets the importance of it. He respects journalism a lot, which always makes um, our lives easier because journalists are not the enemy in his mind. And so so he's he's more of a partner to us. And so I find lower down the line, um, it gets it gets trickier. So it really is what's what's touching our customers, what's touching our reputation, what's touching the stock price, so on and so forth. Yeah. And how much would you say has changed? You've been there 35 years, so you've got a great perspective on how communications has changed, the media, how society has changed. What would you say the biggest uh, differences are? Well, it's, it's crazy because when I started, we had 12,000 employees. Uh, now we have 255,000 employees. Wow. And when I started, um, if you looked at the top 10 banks in America, seven of those banks right now are J.P. Morgan Chase. So whether you're talking about what became First Chicago or Bank One or Washington Mutual or Chemical Bank or Chase Bank or Manufacturers Hanover Bank or the Bank of New York Bank branches, um, so on and so forth, and throwing Casanova and Fleming overseas and Bear Stearns. Um, and, and so it's, you know, we were doing one press release every two months at, when I started, and now we're doing four a day. Um, we were getting three press calls a day, and now we get over 500 a day. Um, so there's just a lot more activity. I'd say things um, move a lot more quickly, but they don't stick. And so, so you're, you're constantly just pivoting from one thing to the next. Um, biggest change that I've seen Um, I'll try to make this a short answer, but the biggest change that I've seen is when I first started, if you were number one in your industry in profits or top um, top, um, couple firms, if you were number one in rankings and lead tables, if your stock was at a record high, if your customer service um, ratings were at at a, a high, if you had no problem recruiting, you used to get good PR. Um, and, you know, used to pray for those things to happen. Now you need all that. But now it's about do you care? Um, do you give back? Are you too big? Are you part of the um, system? Is the game um, rigged? Who are you lending to? It's, it's a whole different set of topics. 
And so I tend to say like that soft stuff in the old days has become the hard stuff. And, and it really does guide um, pretty much everything we do from a public relations standpoint. Yeah, it's almost like business has become more of a consumer topic, isn't it? That people have a much more of a, a consumers and, and staffers take much more of an interest in the organizations they engage with or that they work for. And that, that, that's kind of driving that, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I yes. because sometimes when I'm interviewing somebody for a job, they start grilling me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <laughs> um, so would, would you say that the financial crisis in the late, uh, you know, 2008, nine was that probably the toughest period or the most challenging um, in terms of a brand and a, a, a reputation point of view? Yeah, that probably was the toughest, but it was it was tough, not just because of the um, brand and reputation, but the fact is we were also doing transactions. We did the Washington Mutual, which was the largest takeover of a thrift in history. We did that overnight. So um, so from a PR standpoint, we had a, on a Wednesday night, we knew that we were taking them over on Thursday morning, but their company didn't even know. And so we had to open a whole new bank that didn't even know we were buying them um, and do it all in about eight hours. And that means have all the public relations, media relations, the messaging, the investor relations, uh, the rating agency talks, everything ready. Um, Same thing happened over the weekend when we had to take over um, Bear Stearns. So you saw a ton of volume going through. We then had TARP, um, which was sort of a a, a black mark on the reputation of banks. You had um, the, the presidential, the administration sort of attacking banks. And you saw sort of America mad at all the big institutions that that caused the problems and the big institutions were basically wall street government and to a lesser extent media and and so that was just a lot of volume and a lot of pressure and so i'd say that probably was the the toughest toughest time for me do you get a buzz out of that as a communicator almost because, you know, you've really got to step up and there's no room for mistakes? Well, yeah, I mean, one thing I always tell my team is um, people will remember how you acted during a crisis. So I always tell them, like, when you're, when you're going through craziness like that, you know, don't do things you'll look back on that you'll be ashamed of. Don't slam the doors, you know, write the letters to the editor, lie, mislead, storm out, um, all of that stuff. I said, you know, really know that you're in this crisis and, and, and think about, um, think about um, how, how you're acting, how you're behaving. And so it really is, it's, it's great. It's, it's a great it's it's great to learn there because we're not, you know, in my job, we're not bringing peace to the Middle East or curing cancer. We're doing PR for a bank. And yes, it's super important, but we also have to just be professional, know what we can control, what we can't control. Um, and, and I find that during those crises, your relationships get stronger and stronger um, with the people you're serving. Um, because you're in the foxhole with them. So anytime we have any crisis, um, I try to use that as an opportunity to dig in. I'm not sure I can get a buzz out of it because it's exhausting, um, but I get a mini buzz out of it.
Yeah, yeah. No, it's the same in journalism in this, to a certain extent as well. Um, now, Jay, you're very well known that you're an out executive. Joe, we were really pleased to name you to our inaugural Pride in PR list this year, the PR Week list. And you had your first JP Morgan LGBT plus senior leaders summit uh, this year. And you wrote a really fa- great piece for that. So tell us the story a little bit, because the first years of your career, you weren't out. And then you had a sort of life-changing move to London, I think, in many ways, um, when that was a good opportunity for you to do it. But just tell us the story. And as you worked into five CEOs, I think for the first two, maybe you weren't out, but then um, you told the story of how you came out to each one. And the the story with Jamie Dimon was very uh, fascinating. Yeah. So I, you know, it's, it wasn't just about coming out at work. It was about coming out in my life and to my family and to my friends. So I wasn't ready in the mid eighties. Everybody has, you know, I, I don't know anybody who's ever regretted coming out, but, but everybody has their own timing on it. And, and so I just, I, I just wasn't ready um, during the eighties when I was in my twenties and um, and then I got I, I started confiding in a few people close to me and I finally um, came out in my um, personal life, I think around um, 93. Um, I wasn't ready to do it at work. One of the things I was worried about at work was I, I was worried about people who would actually say the correct things. They'd say, oh, we don't care, or it's fine, or be yourself, but who quietly um, were, were um, either um, disagreed or, or thought it was disgusting or whatever. And I was, so, I was very worried about sort of quiet bias and if it would um, hurt me in the company. And so, so I think as I became a little more confident um, in my job, I got a little bolder in talking to people and I did go up to London from 93 to about 97 and, and, um, and, and I, I did come out there and, um, and I, I was coming back uh, from London and I remember my chairman, Sandy Warner, um, he said, Oh, it's time for you to come back um, to New York. And I said, well, I don't know if I can. Um, I have a partner and he went, well, you can bring her. And so I said, well, it's actually, uh, him and he went well you can bring him and it was just nice for him to be so nonchalant about it and do it and um and then i kind of snuck a little back into the closet when chase bought us because i was nervous that chase was more conservative and we had and this is me doing terrible stereotypes we had a southern ceo and we had a lot of management from texas and i thought they were going to be more conservative and so i sort of held off on on saying too much um, once we got taken over um, and ultimately when my um, when my partner needed back surgery I went to my CEO Bill Harrison who had back surgery and I said and and it was really the first time I told him about my partner Colin and I asked him and, and he just jumped right in can I make a call to the doctor can I can I um, refer Colin to the right person he asked me about him afterwards and so I kind of built up in my um, head this resistance um, uh, that wasn't there um, in terms of coming out to Jamie um, I think the story you're referring to is I was um, I hadn't met him yet 
And I was going into an elevator and he was in the elevator with a guy named Steve Black, who just got named chairman of Wells Fargo um, last week. Um, and Steve said to Jamie, hey, I want you to meet Joe Angelisi. And Jamie said, oh, nice to meet you. Um, he started asking me about myself in the elevator. He said, um, you know, it'll be good to um, to um, maybe go out for a drink with you. You can um, bring your um, partner. And, um, I said, um, yeah, my partner's name is Colin. And he said, that's great. I can't wait to meet him. And so I say it sort of took 12 years, five years for another CEO and took about 38 seconds for Jamie Dimon. Um, and so he's, it's good to hear. And, and, um, maybe, uh, the way business has progressed over the decades, you know, that, that things thankfully have changed since the eighties and, uh, perspectives have changed. Although it's still a long way to go. And, you know, yeah. the pride in PR list, some of the stories we heard really underline that. But uh, great to get our perspective. What would your advice be, Joe, for a, a young PR pro who who is thinking about coming out in the work context? How, how would you advise them to go well, about it? First of all, it, you set your own timing because everybody's different. Um, I do worry. I think I mentioned this when you guys interviewed me for that piece during Pride Month for LGBT uh, the T's in LGBT in the U.S. are still having um, a horrible time. Generally, there is a ton of discrimination and harassment and so on and so forth. So it's not all, all perfect here. We also have lots of parts of the world um, where where it's illegal, where you are killed for being gay. So so it is different everywhere. I would say for um people that I, my performance got better and better and better once I came out because I wasn't, I didn't have to hide stuff. I didn't have to waste energy. And so I would say to people, um, you won't regret it. Um, you just be who you are. Um, and, and it, and your, um, your sexuality is part of who you are. Um, you don't have to just like a straight person doesn't have to talk about being straight all day. You don't have to talk about being gay all day. Do your job, do it well and be yourself. Um, yeah, good advice. It's good advice. Uh, thanks for that, Joe. So um, nice to chat, and we'll get your input on the topics that we're going to cover. Um, Frank, it's been a busy week. It's in the middle of August, but there's still plenty going on. And Joe mentioned what was going on in Afghanistan and um, Haiti as well. Um, big um, macro issues that you can have a, a view on how they've been communicated from a, a pol- political point of view, but also, um, you know, in terms of corporate responses as well. Talk us through it. Yeah. Um, I, I think everybody uh, knows the long and short of the situation in Afghanistan after this weekend. Uh, we asked communications executives with experience in government communications, what they thought of the response of uh, President Joe Biden and his team. And the responses were, were that it was pretty much a lackluster response, that it was a little too little, too little, too late, um, and that he probably should have said something on Sunday when a lot of this was unfolding in Kabul, uh, and that the Monday news conference may have been, I shouldn't call it a news conference because he didn't take any questions, but the, the Monday speech uh, was more defensive than it needed to be and remarkably isolationist. So that that's the opinion so far. I, I think it remains to be seen whether, um, you know, the bleeding has stopped, uh, so to speak. Um, yeah, the polling on this early is, is pretty brutal for the administration. It's pretty bad. 
Um, so it remains to be seen how this is going to unfold in the coming weeks. Um, as as the entire situation was unfolding in in, uh, in Afghanistan, one corporate comms department that really stood out was that of CNN because uh, their reporter Clarissa Ward, who who if you have not seen her on air, has done just tremendously brave work, um, knowing how women have been targeted in that country. It's just just really fascinating and really really brave work that she's done in, in situations that you see where you you realize you yourself wouldn't feel comfortable. Incredibly dangerous. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's done some terrific work, and she was uh, mocked uh, on Twitter by Senator Ted Cruz, and and the the comms team at CNN immediately fired back, and I think a, a much more aggressively. Than you would normally see out of a, a communications team, because yeah, report journalists do take a lot of ribbing uh, from from politicians and politicos. So um, that was one really that you could tell they were really on their toes about uh, what was happening on social media. I think it remains to be seen how much business is going to be able to operate and to interact uh, in Afghanistan how much nonprofits are going to be able to uh, do what they do best within the country. Um, and there's just a lot that needs to be shaken out there. And, of course, we don't want to forget about the, the terrible earthquake in Haiti. And, and, and it's really been a rough couple months for, uh, for Haitians and for Haitian Americans between that and the assassination of, of the country's leader a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so that presents another challenge for businesses with a country that's much closer to home, where there are a lot of uh, people who were born in Haiti, who live there, who, who are now in the U.S. So I, I think it's it's a very challenging week for business. I'm, I'm sure, Joe, it's given you a lot to think about what your company is going to do, how do they respond and things like that. Absolutely. Um, you know, but, one but, thing, Frank, you mentioned was CNN's uh, PR response. I was actually surprised by it. I thought they should have done what they did in defending their reporter. I thought, though, then attacking Ted Cruz, it felt to me it showed bias. Uh, they, they did a personal attack on him, making fun of when he went off on vacation. And I didn't think a news organization should do that. They, you shouldn't know how they feel. Um, and, and so that was a little surprising to me. But absolutely, they should have defended their reporter. Yeah, it's, fair point, fair point. There's a lot of layers to it, aren't there, Joe? I mean, you mentioned parts of the world where, you know, women are being uh, right. you know, we take a lot for granted in the West and yeah. in, in terms of uh, people's views and our rights and uh, mm -hmm. basic rights are not afforded to everyone. Right. And, but, so there's that layer. There's the layer you mentioned earlier of former military uh, personnel that, you know, you're very closely aligned with. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the, the expectations that if you do something for uh, Afghanistan, they, you might be asked, well, what are you doing for Haiti? So, how do you, how do you approach it? You know, from a from from the J.P. Morgan perspective. Yeah, I mean, in in this case, I mentioned we have a quarter of a million employees, and so what we're trying to do is be close to our employees and be supportive of them. So, when they're hurting, we try to help them. And so, so there were two groups, loud and clear, who we were hearing from. After Afghanistan, it was the um, vets, the veterans, and it was women, believe it or not. Um, this is so horrible. And, and men were even talking about women, what's going on. And so 
we wanted to show our support for these groups. And so we sent out some notes from senior management. We talked about the resources in place where we could help them, um, you know, and, 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 and we did what we can do. We know we're not central to that crisis, but we did what we could do where we could do it with our employees. Um, you do, you're always asked to help when you, when you hear of a disaster. So for Haiti, for example, while we don't really do business there, um, we we want to be a company that does good. And so we are working with a lot of international organizations to bring aid to Haiti and we're making large donations and so on and so forth. But you're you're right. I mean it's it's you don't want to play God and decide where do we help, where do we not help. We basically do this um, driven by by a, the right thing to do, but then also what our employees um, want and, and in some cases what our customers want. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, that's a good segue into the next topic, which is the uh, business roundtable. It's the second anniversary of the statement of purpose of a corporation, which they changed two years ago to the day when um, and expanded it out beyond shareholder value to include lots of other stakeholders and genuine, generally um, promote a more purposeful approach to business. And Frank, what do you think? Is this a significant uh, milestone or was that really just a bit of uh, lip service, that statement? Um, how, how do you think business has stepped up over the last couple of years? I don't think we know yet, and I don't think we have a definitive answer. So some of the main pillars behind this, uh, just as a quick refresher, were uh, delivering value to customers. Again, going beyond just driving shareholder value, but delivering value to customers, investing in employees dealing fairly and ethical with suppliers, uh, supporting communities uh, in which companies work, and generating long-term value for shareholders. So um, I think it was a landmark statement for business because uh, these views had not really been articulated in one uh, statement like this before. So I do think it was very important. But what I do think uh, throws a wrench into the whole thing is the pandemic. And there are a lot of different views right now about what it means to be a good employer to employees. Uh, does that mean flexible working? Does it mean monitoring mental health and helping out with mental health and, and things like that? Does it mean being flexible about things like childcare and, and all of that? So I think post-pandemic, we would be grading businesses on a different scale than we would have been before the pandemic. So I, I don't have a great answer on this. I don't have a soundbite answer on this, but we are we are looking at, a, I, I think, a different grading system than we would have been a couple of years ago. Yeah, Joe, you, uh, Jamie Dimon was chairman of the Business Roundtable when that statement was released. What's your perspective on this? And clearly nobody could have predicted the pandemic, but was that a chance to actually for corporations to show that they were more purposeful in, in many ways and as well as dealing with a crisis? So I was pretty closely involved um, even before the statement went out um, because Jamie was one of the key people who, who drove um, the desire to put something out. Our issue wasn't let's change the way business acts. It was more that, that saying that we were mainly shareholder driven was inaccurate. So we wanted to have a more accurate uh, portrayal of who we are and what we stand for. Because the fact is, is if you're not treating your customers well, you go out of business. If you're, if, if you're not attracting and retaining employees, you go out of business, 
right? If, if, you're, if you're damaging your communities, you're ultimately going to go out of business. And so part of anything from a neighborhood bakery store to a gigantic bank is you have to do all of these things. You have to, to um, be there for your communities. You have to be there for your customers. You have to be there for your employees. You have to be there for the environment. Um, or ultimately, you're not going to create any shareholder value. So I don't mean to be cute here, but what we were saying was the way Milton Friedman originally articulated it, we thought didn't reflect what business actually was. So part of this was really updating the statement to reflect reality. Um, and then to Frank's point about the pandemic, I think the pandemic accentuates sort of that all these things are needed. There's a war for talent. Um, employees want a flexible environment. They want to work for a place that, that helps protect them and cares about um, their health. They want to work for a place that offers um, good benefits and so on and so forth. So you're, so, so you are right that, that where, if, if companies are failing, um, in this new definition put out by the Business Roundtable, it is going to be more um, visible. Where do you think the line is between being a purposeful business and acting purposefully and making statements on social issues? Because there's obviously a connection between them, and, and we are told that people that people want business to get involved and make statements and because there's a lack of trust in other institutions. But it seems to me that's where it can get pretty um, controversial and maybe some a lot more people than we think are actually thinking, well, why don't you just get on with what you do best and do your business? You know, what, what, how do you approach the difference between those two parts of the, of the and equation? It's, yeah. And it's sometimes it's really easy, sometimes it's really hard. I'll tell you, our guiding force is... You know, we want to stay in our lane. We don't need to weigh in on every subject um, everywhere. So what we try to do is, going back to what I said before, is does this have a strong impact on our employees, on our customers? So, for example, um, same-sex marriage. You know, we decided to, to fight for that because it was important um, to our employees. And we're not making a call, a Democrat versus Republican call. We're, we're, we're making a call on what do we as a company stand for. So there's other issues where we're not gonna dive in because we don't have anything special to say there. And, and so, so we do try to tie it um, to our employees and to where our company can make a difference. Um, and and it's we we struggle with this all the time when to jump in when not to jump in um, and as you said the public more and more is asking for its big companies to speak out on issues. Yeah, it's it's very complex, isn't it? You've got 255,000 staff. You've got uh, millions of customers, and they don't all have the same view. So you know it, when you do make statements. It, it has to come from a, a mission that you're, you're fully behind. I mean, and, uh, yeah, I mean, one thing, Steve, it's interesting. If you even think about Pride Month, which you mentioned in June, on our ATMs, we say, you know, welcome to Pride Month, you know, be who you are, and we respect differences or something. We, we put something on our ATMs. You wouldn't believe the hundreds and hundreds of customer calls we get complaining about how offensive something like that is. And, and I also remind our executives when we're sometimes in our liberal bubble in Manhattan, um, I remind them that, that half of our employees are Republican and half of them are Democrats. 
Yeah. Conservative, some are liberal, but we're not all the same. Yeah, no, uh, sadly, it doesn't surprise me. But, um, you know, we saw that with Subway, the, the abuse they're getting for having Megan Rapino in their advert, you know, which um, for someone maybe in New York is, is like a so what, but for <laughs> lots of other people, it's, it's a, yeah, we could discuss, we could do a whole other show on this. It's fascinating stuff, but uh, great to get your perspective. Um, Frank, Naomi Osaka, there was another press conference uh, before a tennis tournament where the whole subject of, you know, media and how these conferences are. Um, play out and, and mental health really and it's uh, took us through it yeah so it, it was uh naomi osaka's first uh news conference and she um uh, took some time off uh and really talked about how she didn't deal well uh with you know post-match questions for members of the press uh and it, if you only read the headline you would immediately say it, it really didn't go well but the more you read the back and forth she had uh, with the one reporter, it uh, was, was really pretty thoughtful, even though she had to step away for a minute or two and then came back. But they, they did have an actual thoughtful exchange. And uh, what's interesting about it is, is um, the columnist who was asking her questions, Paul Doherty, uh, from the Cincinnati Inquirer, wrote a very positive column about how she responded and what she had to say um so this is this has come up and this has become an issue and and it's related to the broader discussion about mental health i i do think that when you're talking about pro athletes um whether it's post game or and you you see a lot of examples of of people who lose really close games or, or perform really well and still lose and it's heartbreaking and they they go out and they answer questions from reporters minutes afterwards. Uh, I, I do think that this is going to be a part of being a professional athlete for the foreseeable future. Um, I think the question is, does the back and forth change in any way that makes it more comfortable or different or, or, or anything like that? Um, so interesting to see how this changes, if it changes at all going forward. But I, I don't see any way in which uh, – Star athletes are are just not expected to to answer questions before they appear, after they appear, whatever the case is. Yeah, that was um, that was the point the reporter was making. But I think it was exacerbated because uh, Naomi's uh, manager came out and and really attacked the reporter and said that this is why player media relations are so fraught. Which was which was uncalled for. And and the agent obviously shouldn't have done that. And the agent called the reporter a bully and. It was really uncalled for because, I mean, it was it was a pretty thoughtful question and answer that they had. Joe, it strikes me that uh, I remember the 2018 U.S. Open trophy ceremony when Naomi Osaka beat Serena Williams. And it was a very controversial match. And uh, due to no fault of Naomi Osaka, very emotional. The crowd were were fired up. And I, actually, your Kristen Lemke, who's CMO of J.P. Morgan Chase, was on the dais yes. uh, for the presentation. What was your, what's your take on all this? Well, I, I stepped back, and there is a positive. We saw it in the Olympics, too. Um, mental health is finally coming out of the closet in, in the sports world, in the corporate world. So 
we all we all have mental health issues in our families. Nobody's not um, everybody's touched by it. Yet for a long time, it's not spoken of. Parents are embarrassed to say that their child has a problem. Um, if you're in a big corporation where you're supposed to be a macho, saying that you have a mental health issue or depression or something like that could be seen as a sign of weakness, and somebody else could have an advantage. Same thing, obviously, in sports. I'm actually relieved that people are talking about this, that it's coming up, that it's it's not a black mark on somebody. It's it's something that um, you're coping with, that people um, can can help with, um, that's not seen as a weakness. And and so I think these athletes are doing a service uh, to the rest of us. Um, I know that in J.P. Morgan over the last three or four years. Um, we have been talking a lot more openly about it. Executives have been telling their own stories and it's, it's critically needed. I mean, it's, it's something I, I, I do some nonprofit work and I, I, I've always said, you know, I want to actually do PR for a nonprofit. I don't want to run a nonprofit. And I was thinking who punches way below their weight in terms of telling their story. And I'm thinking, mental health for many years did um and 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 so we 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 need to we need to put a spotlight on it and so there is a silver lining uh to what you're seeing right now in sports yeah um we we made um Michael Phelps, our communicator of the year last year for just that reason. And I thought he was terrific during the Olympics in explaining it. He was terrific, actually, with the sport as well. And you yeah. could really feel what Simone Biles was, was feeling, for example. And um, there is more when people like that talk about it and do the, the work he's doing and uh, the documentaries, it really does. People start to listen. So it, it is true that anything we can do to promote discussion around it is really is really positive. So, um, yeah. Let's see how that plays out. Frank, let's whip through the last couple of topics. Um, NRO Group, which is an Australian holding company, they put their financials out pretty good, I think. Yeah, that's the parent of Hotwire. Uh, organic growth up 14% year over year for the 2021 uh, fiscal year, which just wrapped up. And that's about $161 million in revenue for the group. Um, just to give you a geographic outlay, the U.S. and Europe account for about 55% of their net revenue. It's an Australia-based network, so they do a lot of work uh, in that region as well. So, um, yeah, interesting little group, and I, I think we want one we have our eye on for sure. Yeah, I think they have Naked as part of their uh, group, which That's is right. a creative, was a, a real sort of disruptor back in the day. And David Brain, who used to be at Edelman, is, is on the board of that uh, holding company. And then a few notable people moves, as always, uh, this week. Yes. So just run us through those. Uh, Catherine Hernandez-Blades, uh, formerly of Aflac, has joined Science Applications International Corporation. Uh, as SVP of Marketing and Communications. Uh, they provide government services and IT support. Uh, she's the former ESG and communications leader over at AFLAC. Um, now, here, here is a hot job. Uh, Sade Ayodele has joined Title as Global Communications leader. Uh, she's well known to our readers uh, as one of the co-founders of the Hold the Press uh, movement slash organization, which is uh, the group that pushed agencies to disclose their uh, staff diversity numbers and their hiring numbers year over year. 
uh, title, of course, is the music streaming service co-founded by Jay-Z and a number of other artists. Uh, Jack Dorsey Square acquired a majority stake in the company uh, recently. And, yeah, great uh, move. Excellent move for Sade. Really pleased to uh, see that. Yeah, I agree. And uh, OK Cupid's Michael K. is joining LinkedIn as corporate communications manager. And he said he is, this is his quote, he is transitioning from finding people's romantic match to their professional match. He's got his tagline already. There you uh, go. He starts in the new job on uh, August 30th, according to director of corporate communications, Susie Owens, uh, over at LinkedIn. Um and he is on the shortlist for the Purpose Awards um, for most purposeful, um, I think, in-house communicator. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah. So, and that is part of the shortlist that we, PR Week, released this morning. Uh, and the October 13th is the date of the Purpose Awards, which honor the most purposeful activations and the people behind them. Yeah, that's a big deal for us. It's part of our PR Decoded conference, the Purpose Awards. Um, we we really set, set them up to be the, the the gold standard for how companies do what we've been talking about, act purposefully, engage with all their different stakeholders and do the right thing as businesses as well as making you know profits for shareholders. So check out the shortlist and do uh, make sure you you uh, join the show, uh, which we're hoping will be live and uh, in, in mid-October. And um, we've also got uh, PR decoded around that, so a brilliant lineup of speakers. And our 40 Under 40 event will be on October 28th. Again, we're hoping that's live. And the PR Week Awards, we've got the first deadline for those uh, coming up on September the 1st. So lots going on. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Thank you for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, especially on your vacation. That's beyond the call of duty. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Frank. You guys do absolutely great work, and you do our industry proud. Thank you. We appreciate that coming from you, especially. And um, um, it's great hearing uh, your perspective on things. Thank you, Frank, as always. And uh, we'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.